I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today we're going to be in two different passages. First, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. And the second passage is Matthew 23. Now, if you're not familiar with where the books of Mark and Matthew are located, uh, what I would encourage you to do is if you're in a physical Bible, open up to the table of contents. You'll find that the Bible is broken up into two main sections, the Old and the New Testaments. Now, Matthew Matthew and Mark are found in the New Testament. Uh, They're actually the first two books of the the New Testament. So locate those first two books, Matthew, Mark. We're going to be in Mark first, Mark 12, and then put your thumb on the place uh, in Matthew chapter 23, and that's where you'll be. Now, if you're in an app, what I would encourage you to do is pull down the list of the books of the Bible. You'll find that Matthew and Mark are about two-thirds of the way down that list. And remember, we're going to begin in Mark 12, and then later in the message, go to Matthew chapter 23. If you have been keeping track with our messages uh, every weekend, you know that uh, we are discussing a section of scripture where Jesus is in the last week of his life before he has, uh, before he goes to the cross and is resurrected. And we're in a section where he is talking a little bit about money. And last week we talked about the sacrificial generosity of this poor widow uh, and what Jesus observed and said about that sacrificial generosity. Uh, And during last week's message, I mentioned that I got in trouble way back in the day with my finances and promised all of you that I would give you the backstory. Well, here's the backstory. When I was in college, uh, I I started out as a freshman and I didn't have a whole lot of financial support, had a few scholarships and uh, things like that, but uh, I I barely managed to make ends meet. Uh, And if you know anything about college, you know that within the first six months, you get like 15 dozen credit card offers. And so I was receiving all of these credit cards off, credit card offers. Didn't know much about credit cards or how they worked. And so I applied and I received several credit cards and began charging things, uh, school fees and tuition and meals and things like that on these cards. And I quickly realized that not only did I have to uh, recognize what purchases I had made, but I had to pay those back. And I hadn't thought that through. You see, within a couple, three years of living this lifestyle, um, I had racked up a ton of personal debt, especially credit card debt. Uh, I had people, uh, creditors calling me. Uh, I had uh, letters coming in the mail asking for people to get paid back. I was just I'd made terrible decisions and I was in terrible trouble as a result. Uh, Even despite all this, with creditors calling and my, my knowledge that I was in trouble financially, I still did not sacrifice and I still didn't manage my money well. I still paid for the biggest cable package that they had available. I I paid for uh, fast internet. I went out to eat and went to movies and, and all these things that costed money. And I never cut back my spending and lived wisely in the way I used my finances. And I got in a ton of trouble. As a matter of fact, Uh, A few years down the line when I was in college, um, I actually had a warrant out for my arrest. And one day I was driving my vehicle uh, to go hang out with some friends one afternoon and I got pulled over and I went to jail. I went to jail because of 
poor management of my finances. I was not smart in that day. I'm still not that smart to be totally honest with you, but that's beside the point. Fast forward, um, I spent my time in jail and I began working very hard to pay off all my debts. So I worked, I paid debts, uh, Jana and I, my wife, uh, we started dating and eventually got married. We went to a finance class at the church that we attended and we learned how to budget and manage our money and we learned about tithing. You see, Jana was already tithing when we got married and, and showed me and taught me how to tithe and what tithing meant. But then when we took that finance class and we got more serious about managing our finances in the way that God calls us to manage our finances, my entire financial status changed. I, Jana and I paid off all of my debts within seven or eight months. Uh, we took care of all of that. We were tithing. And for the first time in many, many years, I felt like I could take a breath of relief. You see, tithing and managing my finances the way God calls me to manage them changed my life. And I know that many of you may be listening right now and maybe you've had struggles or maybe you're struggling financially at the, in this very day. You know, uh, again, we, we last week looked at the sacrificial generosity of the poor widow. And today, I wanna focus on how God calls us to live sacrificially and generously. And so let's take your Bibles and let's look at Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're gonna begin in verse 13. So Mark 12, verse 13. It says this. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. These are the religious leaders and political leaders of Jesus's day. So they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly, you truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Isn't that amazing? He gets in a situation with the religious teachers and the political leaders of his day, and they're intentionally trying to trap him. They're trying to stump his teaching. And he beautifully gives a wonderful teaching about how God expects us to manage our money. And so what is his response? So they come to him and they say, Do we, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says to them, bring me a denarius. A denarius was a coin, a, a Roman coin. And he says, whose likeness is on this coin? And they look at it and they say, Caesar's, of course. And he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. This may be hard to hear, 
And you may not like it, but the fact of the matter is, is the Bible is abundantly clear about how our interaction with the government should look. And one of those things is that we should pay our taxes. Don't steal, don't cheat, just pay the government what is owed to the government. And you may be saying, but, but what if the government is corrupt? What if I don't agree with the policies? What if, forget the what ifs for a moment and just obey your Lord. Do you really think that the Roman government of Jesus's day was less corrupt or more corrupt than our government is today? It was far more corrupt. Uh, Caesar was well known for doing horrible, immoral things. He taxed his people like crazy and he had laws that were very unbiblical. And yet despite this, Jesus commands us to pay taxes to the government. You see, Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2 both affirm, along with many of Jesus' own teachings, they both affirm that we are to submit and obey the government that God has placed above us. Go read especially Romans 13. Romans 13 makes it clear that God is the one who places the, the government and the politicians in their places, and he does so for his purposes. Whether we like it or not, that's not our job. We have a role to play in voting and things like that, but ultimately God will enact his will when it comes to the government. So put away the what ifs. What, put away the but what if this and just obey the Lord. Do you really believe that God did not see what the government would look like today here in the United States? Of course he knew. And yet, despite that, he still gives us a clear directive on what we're supposed to do. Obey God's commands in your life and quit making excuses and workarounds. Just obey and that's what I'm going to say about this part of the passage. But continue with me. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And catch what he says here. And to God the things that are God's. You see, we're not just to pay our taxes, but we're supposed to be generous to the mission that God has in front of us. In the Old Testament, if you were to go back into the Old Testament, you would find out that this giving to the mission was called tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings is what it's called. If you're not a believer, let me speak to you for just a moment. If you're not a believer, let me say this. We want you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, to follow him and be in step with his will for your life. And if you're not sure what that means, if you've got questions, let me unpack this for just a moment. Jesus was and is the Son of God. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And yet despite his sinless life, he was wrongfully accused and condemned to death on a cross. And he willfully and voluntarily 
went and he died on that cross. He died for your sins and my sins. And the fact of the matter is, is sin is anything that we do that goes against God's law. And we all do it. There's no person who has ever lived except for Jesus himself who is not a sinner. We are all sinners and we all fall short. And we need Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection in order to be saved from our sins. You see, our sins condemn us to eternal punishment. But if you follow Jesus, if you believe in him and you commit your life to him and you tell others about him, then rather than eternal punishment, you will receive eternal perfection with Jesus. No pain, no suffering, eternal existence that's perfect with Jesus. And if you've got questions about that, if you want to know more about that, what I would encourage you to do is take your device and text the word changing to 94000. That's the word changing to 94000. But let me also say, if you are not a follower of Jesus, what I am about to tell you is, does not apply to you. What I'm about to tell you uniquely applies to the followers of Jesus. But I encourage you to stay on with us and listen to this teaching uh, as it helps you process what God is calling you to do. So what is a tithe? What is an offering? Well, the tithe in the Old Testament was God's command to give 10% of everything to the temple and to the workers that served in the temple. You know, when I, when I talk about tithing, uh, when I talk about money, I hear things like, well, can't you just stick to the Bible and, and what it talks about? Yes, that's why I'm delivering this message. Because the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God that tells us what to believe and how to live. And let me give you just a, a quick little screenshot of what the Bible talks about and how many times. Did you know that, that the word believing, believing in God is discussed 272 times? That praying is spoken about 371 times. Catch this, love is discussed 714 times. But catch this, Giving is mentioned over 2,000 times. So my question to you would be, if you're bothered by the fact that I'm talking about tithing and offerings and money, and you are saying, can't we just stick to what the Bible talks about? Okay, I am. But why are you so uncomfortable with this particular topic? Why are you so bothered by what God's word has to say about our money. I would challenge you to think through that and think through why this is a problem, why you're uncomfortable with this topic. Uh, another thing that I hear uh, when I talk about giving is, isn't the tithe an Old Testament thing, not a New Testament thing? Well, we're gonna talk about that here in just a moment. I also hear, does God really expect me to tithe? Again. We're gonna answer that question. Uh, one of the things I hear often is, well, I tithe my time. Doesn't that count? Well, no, 
And and I'll unpack that idea here in just a few minutes. And and then I hear the, the comment often, and I'll address this one as well. I hear people say, well, I don't give to the church because I don't trust the church to spend the money the way I want it to be spent. We'll come back to all of these questions, but there's a common thread in all of these questions And that common thread is this. These all have the same theme. That theme is, what is the least that I can give to God and still be okay with him? Guys, I'll be honest, that is the wrong way to approach giving. Just like we talked about last week in 2 Corinthians 9, God wants us to be cheerful givers. God wants us to look forward to giving to the mission that God has for them and for the church. And so that brings me to today's big idea. If you've ever watched any of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that kind of summarizes that week's main point, the main drive of the message. And this week's big idea is this. Godly living requires sacrificial giving. Let me say that again. Godly living requires sacrificial giving. You see, godly living is not possible if we are not sacrificially giving. It's part of the the complex puzzle of following God. Without sacrificial giving to God, we're not truly following him the way he calls us to. This premise is simple. Let me unpack this for just a moment. You see, we covered a few weeks ago that God gives you everything. He owns everything. Every penny in your bank account is actually God's. The car you drive and the house you live in, those are actually God's cars and houses or apartments or whatever you live in. The family and friends that you have, the relationships, those relationships are God's relationships. And the fact of the matter is, is he owns everything and gives us on loan these provisions, these blessings, they're not ours, they're his, and we get to use them, but we must be using them for his purposes. So the first instance that we see the tithe in the Bible is in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. If you were to go to that first book, the book of Genesis, and flip over to chapter 14, you would find a story about Abraham, this uh, very godly care, uh, person in the Old Testament. He goes out and he, he goes to war to save a people who had been taken and kidnapped. And he is triumphant. He comes back uh, and he has set the people free. And when he returns, this man comes out, this king named Melchizedek. And Abraham and Melchizedek have this interaction. And during that interaction, Abraham gives to Melchizedek one-tenth of all his possessions. Now, at this time, Abraham was one of the wealthiest people in that entire country. And he just dropped a tenth of all of his wealth into Melchizedek, King Melchizedek's lap. And so Abraham did it out of faith to God because of what God had given him. And so that's the first instance. But we find the premise, the idea about the tithe and the offerings, we find it throughout all of Scripture. It is repeated over and over and over again. 
So we find it throughout the Old Testament, but one passage that I would like to highlight is Malachi chapter three, verses eight through 11. That's Malachi chapter three, verses eight through 11. And it says this, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes aside, says the Lord of hosts. Interesting. You see here in Malachi chapter three, God is telling us that when we don't give him what is rightly his, the tithes and offerings, when we withhold those, we are in truth robbing him. We are stealing from God. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna get caught stealing an almighty God. So he says that we're robbing him when we don't give our tithes, which brings me to one of those questions that I mentioned earlier. Some people say, well, I give of my time so I don't have to give of my money. This passage right here says that that is a bold faced lie. The fact of the matter is, is that God calls us to give both. God calls us to give our time. He wants us to serve, but not by neglecting our giving financially. Our giving cannot replace our serving and our serving cannot replace our giving. They both must be given to God. They're both His. They both rightly belong to Him. And therefore, we are called to give them. Now, another question that I hear all the time is, you know, isn't the tithe and the offering an Old Testament thing? Well, the New Testament talks about it extensively as well. Uh, here are some examples. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Luke, chapter 6, verse 38. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. And Hebrews 7, verses 4 through 10. But I want to focus today especially on Matthew 23. So take your Bibles or your apps. We're going to look at that second passage in Matthew 23. Uh, it's a simple passage, Matthew 23, and we're going to read verses 23 through 26. So Matthew 23, verses 23 through 26. Again, Jesus is in the last week of his life. He's, he's teaching in the temple, and he gives this a uh, set of woes, uh, these, these set of, oh, you people in this category, woe to you because this is what's going to come from, the what, you, from what you are doing. And, and so look with me in chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, catch this, without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a net, a gnat, and swallowing a camel. 
Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Very interesting passage today. You see, Jesus makes it clear that he expects us to not just give time, he wants us to give justice and love and faithfulness and mercy, but we don't give that and neglect the tithe or vice versa. He doesn't want us to give our monetary tithe while neglecting giving justice and love and mercy and faithfulness. It's not either or, it's both and. We must do both. And when we don't do both, what does he say to them? He says that we are greedy and self-indulgent. Again, I don't know about you, but I don't want to, Jesus to call me selfish and greedy and self-indulgent. That doesn't sound like something that I want my Lord and my master and my savior to describe me as. So what is the point of all of this? Let me say very clearly, tithing is trusting. Tithing is a trust issue, which means that it is a heart issue. You see, God calls us to tithe out of the provision that he's given us. As I said before, everything belongs to God. We are simply the trustees of his estate. The things that he owns, he's given to us to use for his purposes. But he has very specific instructions about how to use those resources. And tithes and offerings is part of that. Uh, let me give you an illustration that unpacks this idea for a moment. Imagine if I took one of my sons to McDonald's and I ordered a box of French fries. And we take those French fries and we go and we sit down at the table with those French fries and I place them in front of my son and he begins to, to chow down on those delicious French fries. Imagine if I reached over and I went to grab a French fry and my son reached over and slapped my hand and said, hands off my fries. What do you think my reaction should be in that moment? That's my son. Those are my fries that I bought with my money. He did not contribute a single penny to buying those fries. And yet his selfishness and his greed and his self-indulgence caused him to slap my hand as if they belonged to him. You see, God has given us everything we have. And when he asks for a tithe and people figuratively slap his hand and says to him, keep your hands off my money, we are acting in greed and self-indulgence. The fact of the matter is, is your bank account, your retirement account, your house, your car, all of your possessions, your family, your friends, every relationship you have, and your very life belongs to God, not to you. It's not yours to dictate whether or not you will follow God's command in this. Let me, let me give you another illustration. Let's say that 
you had no money. Let's say that you were penniless and you had bills to pay. And I walked up to you and said, hey, I have $100. Do you need this? And you, in your need, in your poverty, you said, yes, I need this money desperately. Thank you so much. And I gave this money to you. And as you walked away, I said, oh, wait, 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 wait. Can I have one of those $10 bills so that I can go and use this to help someone else in need? How selfish would it be of you to say, no, this is my money. You can't take this $10. The fact of the matter is, is this is God's. And he simply asks for a portion of it so that he can go and bless others with this. You've still got plenty. He asks for this small amount. Do you see the greed and the self-indulgence in these two illustrations? You see, let me be very frank with you for a moment. Your tithes and offerings pays for the camera that is running right now and the lights that are on my face and for this beautiful building that's behind us and for the lights to be on and the air conditioner to run uh, and et cetera. It pays for all the utilities that make our campus and our online campus work. The fact of the matter is our staff is paid through your giving. The discipleship that we put our uh, that we take our people through, the, the discipleship books, the Sunday school books, the materials that we use to help people grow in Jesus is paid for through your giving. We recently opened back up our children's ministry and everything that takes place in that children's ministry is only possible because of the giving of the people of First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale. You know, this building and our entire property is maintained as a result of your giving. And can I be kind of transparent for a moment on this particular issue? This building, the buildings on this campus and the, the yard that is just outside these doors from where I'm recording right now has been neglected for years. And we can't fix it because people who claim to belong to Christ are being stingy with what God asks them to give. Our campus needs to be maintained and that requires financing. But let me take this to what really matters. Your giving gives us the ability to give back and minister in our community here in Scottsdale and Paradise Valley and all around the valley. The fact of the matter is, is without your generosity, we can't serve our homeless community. We can't help elderly uh, individuals who are at risk in our community uh, do check-ins on them. We can't help provide for our food bank that, that is located in, in South Scottsdale, that provides food for families that don't have enough money to buy food for their, their children. We can't reach lost people 
through the ministries that take place in this place and here online without your generosity. We can't support church planters that are here in the valley leading people to Jesus in areas where there's not really a church presence. Without your generosity, we can't support our international missionaries that we support who are going to other countries and proclaiming the gospel, teaching people about the good news of Jesus all over the world. Your generosity provides for that. And so is tithing and giving offerings an Old Testament thing? Yeah, but it's also a New Testament thing. Can you replace your giving with your time? No, your giving and your time are both required. You see, God doesn't accept our excuses. He doesn't. The fact of the matter is, I hear excuses all the time. I hear people say, well, money's too tight right now. I, if I had more money, I would be more generous. No, you wouldn't. Every study that's ever been done on people's generosity shows that if you're stingy when you have little, you will be stingy when you have a lot. So that's a lie. If you're generous when you have a little, you will be generous when you have much. I hear people say, well, I don't trust the church enough to give to it. Then why are you here? If you don't trust the ministry and the ministers and the leaders of First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, why are you here? Because that is a, a pretty sad approach to being part of a body of Christ. If you don't trust the body of Christ that you claim to belong to, then that's a pretty sad statement about where your faith is and what you think about God's provision for the body. I hear people say, well, God's not blessing me, so I can't give. Of course not, God's not blessing you. Go back to the, the parable of the talents. God isn't gonna bless you if he can't trust you with the blessings he's already given you. And so the fact of the matter is, is God doesn't put up with excuses. It's not about excuses. It's about obedience. We give because God tells us to give. We are generous because God has been generous to us. And we tithe because it's commanded and because we trust God. You do realize that in the Bible, the words that are used in this book for trust and faith are the exact same words. If you claim to have faith, you are claiming to trust. And so this is not about excuses. This is about obedience, generosity, and trust. So tithing multiplies ministry. It's giving back to what God has given to us. It's not giving away, it's giving back. And imagine, according to research in the United States and around the world, if every person who claims to be a Christian, if they simply gave the bare bones minimum of 10%, did you know that world hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases would be completely eradicated in five years if the church would simply tithe. We could eliminate illiteracy around the world if the church would simply tithe. We could solve the world's water 
and sanitation issues all over the planet if the church would simply tithe. We could fully fund all the mental health facilities that are necessary to meet the needs of those who are mentally struggling if the church would simply tithe. We could fund every single overseas missionary and some if the church would simply tithe. And if we did that and we did all of those things, relieve world hunger, starvation, uh, death from preventable diseases, we eliminate literacy, we solve the world water and sanitation issues, we fund mental health and we fund overseas missions. If we did all of that, we would still have $100 billion left over after all that is done. Can you imagine the impact that we would have in this world if Christians would simply obey what God told them to do? Imagine what our church could do in this community. Imagine the light that our church could be in this world of darkness if people simply obeyed the Lord. So how is God calling you to change this world and this community through your giving? We all say that we trust God, but does your money reveal your trust or your lack of trust? And as I asked last week, are you looking to justify giving less or looking for opportunities to give more? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, this has been a heavy message. It confronts us at our most sensitive and most offensive area. But your word speaks, speaks extensively about this topic and we will not ignore it. So Lord, we pray that you would guide us and that you would convict us and that you would call us to action, that you would give us the strength and the courage to do what we know is right. Help us to fully obey you. We thank you so much. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.